0: Nous avons souvent parlé de leadership de Drouvmont au service public and à this country. Premier Charest not only exemplifies but has lived those extraordinary values throughout his entire adult life. His love of Canada is renowned and crucially his views on the federation are reflected not just in his words but in his actions. So, engagement province pour l'avenir du Canada a comme à travers certain théorie d'assez sombre. His forceful and devastatingly effective intervention in the 1995 referendum debate will be regarded by history as a crucial turning point in the fight for Canada. In 1998, Premier Charest put the needs of his province and country first and went to Quebec City to become leader of the Liberal Party, to become Premier in 2003, and to go on to win three impressive straight electoral victories son gouvernement s'est engagé à protéger l'environnement et l'amélioration des conditions de vie des familles au Québec his ideas have kept our country strong his actions have kept his province a leader in canada the council of the federation of course was his idea as Premier Ministre, he a tendu the hand and worked with his homologues. His generosity of leadership led to joint cabinet meetings with Ontario and to a genuine and frank exchange of views on energy and the environment with Premier Redford from Alberta. As we look forward, we see new tensions for our Federation, changing demographics, and economic disparities that could easily pit region against region, community against community. Premier, your view that a rising tide lifts all boats, that Canada succeeds when we succeed together, is never more important than it is today, as is your leadership, your experience, your love of your province and your country. Monsieur le Premier ministre, vous avez la parole. Premier, the Canadian Club podium, Canada's podium of record is yours.
1: Thank you, uh, Jamie. Ladies and gentlemen, Jamie, I want to say right off the bat how impressed I am that finally in Toronto you have recognized that wherever the Premier of Quebec goes is the center of the universe. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Chers amis, Je veux saluer Jamie et le remercier de nous accueillir aujourd'hui au, uh, au Club Canadien. Également Christian Paquette, qui est uh, le président du Club Canadien de Toronto. Je veux saluer chaleureusement un ami, Ernie Eves, uh, premier ministre de l'Ontario. When I started as premier of Ontario, Ernie was my, my vis-à-vis, and I'm delighted to uh, renew uh, our acquaintance and friendship today, as is the case for Madeleine Mayer who I've got to know uh, over the last few years and who has been a very good friend and ally. I'm accompanied today by the minister who is responsible for mines in my government, Mr. Serge Simard, who I wanted to acknowledge, Paul-Arthur Huot, who is responsible for our office here in uh, Toronto, and also Mr. Jacques Daou, who is responsible for Investissement Québec, a very important uh, crown corporation in Québec who is very involved in this Plan R that I'll speak to in a moment. And also Marc-André Blanchard, who's the uh, President of the Council of mercarte Tetro, and a very good uh, friend of mine. I do want to acknowledge the club of the usual suspects from politics. I see in the room today John Godfrey, who I had the opportunity of crossing in the House of Commons, Senator Art Eggleton also, Martin Cochon, who uh, is uh, also very prominent uh, in Quebec, Pierre Petigrou, who I also see uh, in the room, and also the Council General for France here in Toronto, Mr. Jérôme Cochard, among other guests that are with us today, and I want to thank them for attending and, and being with us. My wife, Michelle, and I are delighted to be here in Toronto, and in fact, we're delighted to be with friends and people and a number of you that we've had the opportunity of working with and meeting over the years. It has been our great fortune to have been involved in public life now for over... 25 years and to have met a number of great people along the way whose uh, friendship we cherish and I regret that we're not here more often but I have to run Quebec <laughs> Mesdames et messieurs c'est donc avec beaucoup de joie que nous vous retrouvons aujourd'hui pour partager avec vous quelques réflexions sur la situation au Québec sur nos projets sur notre vision de l'avenir et vous parler un peu du Canada incluant la relation que nous avons avec tout le Canada avec nos voisins de l'Ontario également avec euh, avec tous nos partenaires de, de la Fédération canadienne. Uh, Jamie Watt vous a parlé il y a quelques instants de cette visite d'Alison Redford uh, chez nous uh, au Québec tout récemment. Uh, we recently uh, Jamie mentioned the visit of Premier Alison Redford in uh, in Quebec recently on the 11th of January and I should share on a personal note Michelle and I got to know Alison when she was uh, in youth politics for the Progressive Conservative Party of Canada. She was in high school. And, and we were ap- absolutely filled with joy to see this young woman progress to become uh, Premier of, uh, of Alberta. And, uh, and she was a host. I hosted her on the 11th of uh, January, a very in- in- interesting moment, one I'll never forget for this reason. We did a small press conference, uh, she and I, after our meeting. And she spoke French, and the media in Quebec, their jaw literally dropped and at the fluency of this young woman in French from Alberta, the premier of Alberta. And the first tweet that came after our press conference was this, can she coach the Montreal Canadians? <laughs> answers no she's busy. <laughs> Mesdames et messieurs, je vais aujourd'hui vous parler d'économie. Je vais pas vous ennuyer avec beaucoup de chiffres, mais je vais vous parler de notre situation à nous au Québec. Je vais vous parler un peu de notre vision de l'avenir, je vais vous parler d'un magnifique plan qui s'appelle le plan Nord et je vais vous parler un peu de l'avenir du uh, du Canada. And I do so I do want to speak a bit about the economy. I want to share with you our view of where we see the future and how things un, unfold and share with you a few of the very exciting projects we have and I want to do this in a context where I recognize that one of our challenges in Canada because of the the diversity of our population is to be able to uh, to get a good grasp of every part of our country it's been a challenge for us because when I, I too often I read comments I see commentary analysis about Quebec that I find frankly to be honest dated and, and not the true reflection of what has unfolded in Quebec in the last few years and in fact we have a great story to tell as all of Canada does by the way this is a a shining moment for our country as a lot of you already know in regards to uh, the performance of our economy and what we've accomplished and Quebec's been a big part of that so let me start there by saying that we have come through this financial and economic crisis with pretty sterling results all of Canada but Quebec in particular Our job performance has been exceptional. Actually, we have had a better unemployment rate than the Ontario average, and I don't say this with any glee at all, but it speaks to how we've been able to address the issue of job creation better than the Canadian average, obviously better than the United States. And there are a number of reasons for that. We have been successful in controlling spending and stimulating our economy through infrastructure, but also spending, but also through energy investment. On this map that you have on my left, and I'll speak to that in a moment, I'll show you some of the things related to this map, there's a major investment in energy that we started in 2009, the construction of a dam called La Romaine on La Romaine River on the lower north shore of Quebec, a 1,500 megawatt dam, and there's a few thousand people working now, and that has been a big part of creating some job, econ- economic stimulus in Quebec and some job creation, but also helping to structure the future of our economy. We were successful also in implementing a number of programs to support businesses who had liquidity problems during the financial crisis, which was a great source of concern for us because we had very good businesses who had good track records and actually no reason to run into these kind of problems that actually did, as you did in Ontario and elsewhere, notwithstanding the fact that our financial sector came through the whole crisis in very, very, very good shape, and so that speaks to how serious the situation was. Another thing we did in Quebec was very strong support for employment programs. We're very proud of that because we successfully supported a number of workers and businesses that would have been laid off otherwise. And we did something that may seem trivial, but it isn't. We supported workers whose jobs were threatened so that they could stay on the job and receive training. And the reason why we did that is because we learned from the experience of 9-11 in the aeronautical industry that if you allow them to be laid off and the business picks up, then you'll be in some trouble when you want to retrain them and get them back working. And so we we chose a different route and it worked quite successfully. We've been very good at controlling our program spending. Quebec has the second-best record in Canada after British Columbia in terms of controlling program spending in the last nine years. In fact, where our situation is different is that we have a bigger pie of spending. We have more social programs than elsewhere in the country, and by choice. It's very much a choice. In fact, when you stop to think of it, Quebec is probably the most europhile place in North America, in the choices that we have made as a society. But there are good reasons to make those choices, beyond some of the perceptions that people have. And I'll give you a very real example of that. We have chosen to increase massively in support of families. We're probably one of the places in the world that invests the most to support families. How do we do that? Through universal daycare, $7 a day daycare, which costs a lot of money but has had a very positive effect. To that, our government added a parental leave program that's one of the most flexible also in the world. A young woman who leaves her job to have a child will be offered the same amount of financial support, whether it's a short-term leave or a long-term leave. And men men are offered parental leave. The third thing we did was reinstate family allowances while giving a priority to lower-income families. And the outcome for us has been very significant. The birth rate in Quebec has gone up from 1.4 to 1.7. And think for a moment, for those of you who follow politics in this country, the whole issue of the future of our population in Quebec is always an issue in the background. Well, there are a few governments I know in the world who have successfully addressed through policy the issue of allowing and encouraging families to increase the number of children they have. That has been one of the very positive effects. The second one is, with an aging population, we need to allow every single person to make the choice to enter the labour market. We have gone from the second-last participation rate, lowest participation rate for women of childbearing age in the labour market to the first position. We have one of the highest levels of participation rate for women in the labour market in the world, which means they have made the choice. We need to offer this choice to women. With an aging population, it increases their opportunities. It also allows us to be more productive as a society. And the third outcome is lower poverty. Quebec is one of the few places in North America that has actually decreased poverty for single-income families and low-income families with children. In fact, a family with young children in Quebec pay less income taxes than the Canadian average or even Alberta. In other words, the picture I'm painting is this. We've made a choice as a society to give a break to young families. Give them a break at a time where they decide to have children, raise children. And yes, on average, they will pay more income taxes than the average Canadians because we have more services. So there is an example of what we choose to do and that we believe in to be a right choice. So there is one of the choices we made. Let me talk now about, as I spoke about the crisis, the fact that we were able to control our spending to the point where we have one of the lowest deficits in Canada, actually half about what it is in Ontario and our, ba- our budget will be balanced by 1314. 14 After our election of 2008, we tabled a budget in 2009 that laid down a very clear path of where we need to go and what we need to do to balance our budget which includes program restraints and also protecting our social programs, learning from the past, that it doesn't serve any purpose to go out there and slash and burn if in the end you're going to have to rebuild your health care system or education system because of those decisions. We chose a very deliberate path, which included increases in the sales tax, but allows us to arrive at a balanced budget by 13-14, a process that has been recognized by the those who do the credit rating agencies as being a very credible process. As we look to the future, there are a few things we have to address in Quebec and in Canada. And I want to speak about that, about how we see the need for a new economic space for Quebec. And we've done a number of things to be able to do that. Lorsque nous envisageons l'avenir, nous au Québec, ce que nous avons beaucoup débattu chez nous, c'est l'ouverture d'un nouvel espace économique. Comment pouvons nous, à partir d'une population of 8 millions d'habitants, 34 millions seulement au Canada, create de la richesse, de la croissance pour que nous puissions prospérer. The beginning point of our, our view of the future is based on something that's real for all of Canada. We are only 8 million people in Quebec. We are only 34 million people in Canada. In fact, when I travel abroad, I go to China, for example, or India, I always make a point to the room I'm talking to that the population of Canada is within the margin of error of that of China. (laughs) What we lack in population, we have in great resources. The point is this. If we want to prosper, we need to have access to markets. We need to have an open economy, able to to, uh, greet investment. That is key to our future. If we understand that, then we'll be able to make the right choices. One of the key choices, one of the key things we believe in in Quebec is that if we're going to prosper as a society, as I mentioned earlier, we need to allow every person to contribute. Labour mobility is a key issue for us, and in that respect, we lead. We lead in the world. What we have done, because of an aging population, is that we propose to France to sign a labour mobility agreement that is a first in the world, where we recognize the qualification of every regulated trade or business person and they are in France and Quebec. It's unique because if you're a doctor in France, you're recognized as a doctor in Quebec. An engineer in Quebec, an engineer in France. A plumber, a plumber in Quebec, plumber in France. A baker, a butcher, even lawyers. <laughs> in fact, lawyers were among the first to sign an agreement to our great surprise. It was negotiated by Le Batonnier du Québec, Gérald Tremblay, who worked at mccarthy Tetro. And you have no idea of the excitement Quebecers felt when they found out we would greet more French lawyers. <laughs> they were so happy. <laughs> this is a first in the world. And the idea is to make it as seamless as possible so that French expatriates can come to Quebec and work and help develop our society. And I I go to Davos every year. We opened a a workshop this year, and Quebec was very much at the forefront of what we're doing. We're leaders in the world in this regard. And we go further than that. There are young students here. We host, for example, 7,000 French students a year from France come to Quebec. And we try to hold back as many as possible hold and hope that they stay. But we also are the first to offer every single Fordham student upon graduation, a certificate of selection to become a Canadian citizen. A certificate of selection. And when you think of it, it makes a lot of sense. They've chosen to come to Quebec. They've studied in Quebec. We have trained them. We graduate them. We know the value of their diploma. It is our diploma. They're partly integrated. Doesn't it make sense that we offer them an opportunity to stay if they wish to stay? and we're the first to do that. By the way, we have an immigration agreement with the government of Canada. We've had it since the 1990s that allows us to do that. And that speaks to the functioning of our federal system of government. So on the, our view of the future, this is one of the key issues that we believe is going to be critical to the development of Canada because we will be in a race in five or six years from now with the other developed countries To have access to skilled labour, and even non-skilled labour. The second thing we did was initiate negotiations between Canada and Europe on a broad economic partnership between the European continent and Canada, and this we initiated in 2007. After the Doha Round went off the rails, the European Commission asked itself, what is the next step? The commissioner at the time was Mr. Mandelson, he proposed to the commission that they should negotiate bilateral agreements with emerging economies, and we proposed to them, I proposed to him specifically, why don't you negotiate an agreement with Canada? Which would do two things for Europe, allow Europe to set foot in North America without having to go through the United States, and also establish a new type of agreement, a new model of what could be a broad partnership agreement. And they agreed. But by the way, the Europeans said this, we will agree at the condition that the provinces be part of the negotiation. Because we have such a decentralized federation, a real agreement is one in which the provinces are involved. This was the view of the Europeans. And of course, we've been negotiating this agreement since. We hope to complete it in 2012. Europe is experiencing a difficult period. But Europe is still 500 million people. It's the richest economy block in the world, and one that offers us great opportunities. Emerging economies are important, but let's not neglect what opportunities are there today. And in this broad agreement, there's a labor mobility chapter, and there's an opportunity to sign cooperation agreements in the area of the environment, the environment of academic training also, in areas in which of culture, which allows us to humanize this phenomenon of globalization. In other areas, we've also been very successful. One is the Plan A, and that's the Plan A, the map that's right here. And I hope this microphone works. Does it work? Yes, it does. The Plan A is this territory that's at the 49th parallel up. It's 72% of our territory in Quebec, 1.2 million square kilometers of land, twice the size of France. And there's 120,000 people only who live in this territory. I know that because I know each of them individually. <laughs> We're in Toronto. I, I know I can say this. It won't get out of the room. They're going to vote for me in the next campaign. This plan was born out of the fact that we have, like elsewhere in Canada, a lot of pressure on the development of our resources because of emerging economies. In fact, for three reasons. Emerging economies, the movement of urbanization in the world, and the third one is demand for all sorts of minerals for technology products, which is also often very underestimated. And because we care about this northern environment, we also felt it was important to bring some order and balance to the development of, of Quebec. And the third reason why we did this Plan A, we call it Le Plan A, was because we want the benefits to accrue, of course, to Quebecers, but most of all to those who live in this territory, among which there are three First Nations, the Cree, the Nascapi, some Inuit commun- communities, and the Inuit in the north. And so we did a broad consultation And we delivered a vision over 25 years in which we anticipate $80 billion of investment, $47 billion for new renewable energy, $33 billion for infrastructure and also mining investments, and some investment in housing and social policy. And our view and vision was we want a broad view of how this development should happen. Not only must it be economic, it must be social, and have real benefits for communities. One thing we care very, very deeply about as far as First Nations are concerned is to give them an economic base from which to develop so that they can make their decisions in regards to their communities. We've learned that we cannot do that development for them. What we have to do is create the conditions that allow them to have that economic base and then develop. Le Plan A's vision meets that. that. goal of giving them that development. Since we've announced it on the 9th of May, there's been a number of investments that have been announced. ArcelorMittal announced a two, ArcelorMittal announced a 2.1 billion dollar investment here for the expansion of a iron ore mine with a trail link that already exists and the expansion of a pellet plant in Pasquartier. Here at Ave Saint-Pierre, there has been an investment by Tinto Taufat-Stan, $800 million to expand an Ilmenite mine, but also to send that product down to Sorel, where there's 1,700 workers that work at a smelter that, that transform that product into a pigment that goes into the, uh, to paints or different products. What's also very encouraging about that investment is that through the money they'll invest, they'll reduce their SO2 emissions by 60%. We've opened a new pulp, plant which is fairly rare these days for the pulp and paper industry to produce a a pot that is going to be used for the uh, for what we call rayon which is a substitute to cotton which is what partly what the future of the pulp and paper industry can be and there are other projects like the building of a road from Chibougamou all the way up to this project here called Renard which is a company called Stornoway which the government of Quebec owns Uh, part of it, which is going to be Quebec's first diamond mine. Diamonds is a great story, a story I love. I was a federal minister of environment in the early 90s when companies came to Canada for the first time to explore for diamonds. And at the time we thought they were crazy. There are no diamonds. Diamonds in Canada? Today Canada is the second most important producer of diamonds in the world. It's a great story, and this will be our first diamond mine. And because I follow this now, I found out recently there's going to be a glut of diamonds. Did you know this in the world in the next few years? Why? Well, in particular, because within Brazil and Russia and India and China, these emerging economies, there's a billion more consumers that will be added to the middle class in the next 10 years. And so, of course, the demand is stronger. And so, by solidarity, because there will be a shortage of diamonds, I have made a commitment not to buy any diamonds. <laughs> I, it's a question of principle, <laughs> because and you will want to buy Quebec diamonds, I sure. When this, there's a beautiful project here called Matouche of the company called Stratico, which is a potential re- uranium mine. of the company, is here today, and he's—I've seen him make presentations on their project, which is a magnificent project. So this is a road that we're building with the companies to have access to this part of the territory. There's another road here from Natashquan to Blanc-Sablon, which is $122 million investment. And this, all this part of Quebec, by the way, is, has never been developed, is pristine, It's never been touched. There's a beautiful movie about a village there called La Grande Séduction, about how have you you know the, if you've seen it's a, it's one of the best Canadian movies ever made. If you have it, it's called La Grande Séduction. It's in Harrington Harbour, and uh, and and it's a very interesting part of Quebec. And we're building a road there to have access. Think of it for a moment. All this part of our territory isn't opened up, and from a mining point of view, from a mining point of view, 80 percent of this territory has not been fully explored. And so there's a whole host of projects. I see André Gaumont today. He's of a company called Virginia. They op- opened a gold mine with a company from British Columbia called Gold Corp. And that's just at the north of Chibouguémont. And it's going to be one of the biggest gold mines in Quebec. We visited that site in January. It was minus 37 degrees. I was with the mayor of Quebec City in a delegation from Quebec City. It was a very, He's my new best friend, by the way. And, um, <laughs> During the presentation, there's a gentleman who explained to us that they, he needs, he's responsible for spending $1.5 billion within the next 16 months, and he needs help. So if you want to leave your name at the door, there was a physical reaction in the room. The point I'm making is that the potential is just tremendous. There's the Boreal Forest in this part of Quebec, it's 53% of our take. We are going to protect 50% of this landmass from industrial development. That's a territory the size of France. And 20% of that 50% will be protected areas according to international criteria. It's a huge undertaking. It's one of the last vast virgin territories in the world. It's environmentally very sensitive, also, which means that we have to pay a great deal of attention to it. And I want to point. I'll point to two issues that are fascinating. You know, at the north of Quebec, in northern Canada, there's a new maritime route that will open in the next few years, the Northwest Passage. This new maritime route that will open because of global warming is going to reduce the shipping time between Europe and Asia by three days, which is a huge saving of time and money. How important is shipping? Right as we speak, there's a new Panama Canal being built next to the present canal to accommodate these new post panamax ships. And what's interesting politically about the maritime route is that it's within Canadian territory. Are there any Americans in the room today? Any, anyone want to... If you are, please lift your hand. <laughs> well, I'm disappointed. I'll tell you why. This maritime route is within Canadian territory, it belongs to us, yet neither the United States or Europe recognize it as being totally Canadian because their view is that it's an international waterway. Well, it is not. It's ours. (laughs) And you can guess that behind this is a whole issue of who will own the resources in the North. It's going to be a key, key political issue for our generation and the next. You may have seen uh, Prime Minister, now President, Putin last week commenting that he wanted to sit down with Canada to help map out the north. Well, we should not be mistaken on how important this issue will be. The other issue is rare earths, which is, I've learned about that. Rare earths is the name of a basket of 17 minerals you, you typically find in one single place. And these minerals serve the purpose or are used to develop high technology projects high technology products, whether cell phones, or iPads, or computers, or flat screens. China, for all sorts of reasons, is about the sole producer. They had a fishing conflict with Japan. As a consequence, they reduced the quota of rare earths to Japan. This sent a shiver through the international community as a number of developed countries who don't have a lot of resources, Germany, France, realized that they were in a vulnerable situation. So now a new issue is one of the access to mineral resources for national security reasons, which gives a whole new coloration to these, pro- these uh, issues. So in a, in a snapshot, I've tried to give you a sense of where we're, we are in this project. It's a very exciting project, one that is going to be very important for the next generation of Quebecers. There was a study out last week that indicated there'll be 147 billion dollars worth of investment that will emerge from this project. That for every job created in the north there would be a job in southern Quebec on average $65,000 worth of pay for these jobs. So it's going to create a great deal of prosperity. <laughs> Je veux, en terminant, vous parler de notre relation avec le reste du Canada. Pour vous dire ceci Mon gouvernement a la conviction que l'appartenance du Québec à la fédération canadienne est pour nous un avantage. Le Québec a contribué positivement au fonctionnement de la fédération et continuera de veiller à son amélioration et à la pérennité des principes qui l'animent. As we look to the future, Quebec sees its future within Canada. And I have been accused Mind you, my, my adversaries accuse me of being an extremist federalist, <laughs> which I am, I guess. I believe, and we believe, my government certainly believes, that this is, for us, the best choice. And in fact, in these economic times, it's a great deal of pride that if you travel outside of Canada, you'll find that, as I've mentioned, our economic reputation has never been better than it is today. It is outstanding and for good reason. We've managed our affairs very well. But as we look ahead, we believe our relationship is very important with our neighbors. In fact, over the last few years with the government of Ontario, we've been able to solve the issue of, and the irritant issue we had in the border of Lutawe with the Ottawa area on construction workers. We renewed an agreement on cooperation between Ontario and Quebec and we've had and innovated with joint meetings of our cabinets over the last few years. We are the most important Canadian supplier to the economy of Ontario and Ontario's the most important Canadian supplier to the economy of Quebec. We are privileged to be neighbors and we benefit from each other's development in our respective economies. As we look ahead we believe it's very important to renew our commitment to federalism and what are the principles we believe in? Principles of respect, of flexibility, the rule of law, balance and cooperation. It is a very important principle for us, the notion of respect. Healthy cooperation cannot exist without a profound respect shared among the partners of our Federation. Respect for each other's jurisdictions, respect for each other's choices, respect for each other's expertise and our abilities. The underlying principle here is the recognition that provincial governments are not subordinate to the federal government in a federal system of government. And the federal government is not the sole guardian of the common good. In a federation, we share this responsibility of defending the common good in our respective areas of responsibility. And the judge of how we do, frankly, at the end of the day, is our respective citizens, who in election campaigns determine whether or not we've done a good job. As I look ahead, the whole issue of flexibility and recognition of difference is very very important. And I found a very interesting quote from a past Premier of Ontario, John Robarts, who convened a constitutional conference, a conference in 1967, and said this, And this is John Robarts speaking. The fact is that Canada is a federal state, not a unitary state, means that the provinces were created and they exist in recognition of regional differences. It is a fact that must be accepted as a fundamental condition of our will and agreement to live together. These are the words of John Robarts in 1967, and they still ring true today. The next principle is flexibility. Homogeneity may have been the utopia of the 20th century. The 21st century, however, will be about flexibility, respect for differences, and asymmetry. Our country was constituted federally because of our differences, because of our differences, and in respect of these characteristics, a concept which people often confuse with equality. One can be equal while being different. In fact, true equality includes the right to be different. Flexibility participates in the very essence of our federalism. A third principle is balance. This is a subject that deserves a lot of consideration given the challenging challenges facing our Federation today. Long-term balance cannot exist in a federation if one level of government is in a position that affects the relationship between the two levels of government. Lorsqu'on regarde l'ensemble de ces principes, on peut se demander pourquoi il n'y a pas eu, par exemple, de rencontre des premiers ministres avec celui du Canada depuis janvier 2009. As we look ahead, we need to renew these principles. And as we look ahead, we need to renew these principles in the context of a new majority government in Ottawa. Ottawa has been living under minority government since 2004. For the first time in a long time, Canadians have chosen to give their federal government a majority, and as we look ahead, we believe that this is a time where we need to reconcile ourselves to these federal principles. And I say this with some concern because The federal government recently chose to set down funding for health care and other transfers for the next 12 years, and to do it single-handedly without any consultation. This had never been done before. And they were able to present this as being something that the country needed, yet there is every reason to believe and to think and to want us to have a much broader discussion on these issues in these economic times. Bear something in mind. As in the, since I have been Premier, only nine years, I say only nine years, I hope you pick that up. <laughs> I've seen three provinces change position on equalization payments. Three of them have out of the scheme, three are back into the scheme. Every single province now since Confederation has been, at one time or another, within the equalization scheme. We met recently in Victoria, and one of the points I made to my colleagues is if there's one thing that we need to do in Canada is think seriously and have a very good discussion of how we work together, because the economic times in which we are can change very radically, very drastically for any of us. We should have a long-term view. And I would hope our federal government would take that approach and not decide unilaterally on these discussions. I'll give you one example why been a lot of talk about health care. When health care was initiated in Canada, the federal government brought the provinces in under the guise of a deal where they paid half of the costs. The Romano report in 2004 said the federal government should assume 25% of the cost. There was a deal struck in 2004 with Prime Minister Martin, and that cost was brought up, but the cost today that the federal government assumes is 21%. And the proposal they tabled recently brings them down eventually to eleven percent. Yet that question was never discussed, it was never debated, not even entertained. Yet it needs to be as we look ahead. The same is true on the federal government legislates in the area of crime, like C10, without a consideration of the cost to the provinces. Again. There needs to be discussion, and exchange of information. It can't be unilateral. That's not the federal way. It's not what we believe in. Alors, mesdames et messieurs, nous croyons que le gouvernement fédéral doit gouverner en fonction de ce principe de fédéralisme d'ouverture dont il parlait en 2006. Let me close now on something, and I've spoken too long, but I want to close on something that I, I shared with Prime Minister Harper. And I like this story because I think it reflects who we are. In 2006, Prime Minister Harper had a cabinet meeting in Quebec City after his election. And during that visit, my leader of the opposition at the time, his name was Henri Boclair, challenged Prime Minister Harper to recognize Quebec as a nation. So why don't you recognize Quebec as a nation? Of course, there was some intrigue about that and it was trying. there was some political jockeying. And I remember meeting with the Prime Minister at the time, and it's not a great secret, I want to share the story I shared with him. In 1864, if my memory is correct, Sir John A. Macdonald wrote a letter to a journalist of the Montreal Gazette in which he explained why he had made the compromise of a federation as opposed to a unitary state. And this is Canada's first prime minister speaking. And he writes in this letter that he had made that choice and accepted that compromise, even if it wasn't his first choice, for this reason speaking about Quebecers, who were French-Canadians called French Canadians at the time, he said this, Treat them as a nation, and they will behave as the people of all nations do, generously. Treat them as a faction, and they will behave factiously. And so he chose the federal system of government we have today to our great benefit, because Canada would not have been possible otherwise. The advice I gave to Prime Minister Harper was this. If the first Prime Minister in the history of Canada could recognize French-speaking Quebecers and Canadians as being a nation, why would you choose to contradict him today? Could it not be in our heart and in our soul to recognize who and what we are? which makes Canada stronger. Merci beaucoup. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Premier Charest, for taking the time to be with us here today. On behalf of the Canadian Club and all of our guests today, we appreciate you sharing with us your views on the state of our federation, the environment and the economy. Your impressive experience as a leader and your passion for this country, sir, shines through. Your inspiration and focus on developing Plan Nord, all while maintaining your determination on improving the functionality of the Federation and continuing to control costs are vital uh, characteristics that are needed as we face a challenging economic future. On behalf of all Ontarians, and indeed all Canadians, sir, we we all appreciate your dedication to a united Canada which has become the hallmark of your contribution to this great country. Thank you, Premier, again for being with us here today. Merci beaucoup. Thank you.
0: Thank you, uh, Paul, very much. Uh, Merci beaucoup, Monsieur Charest. Uh, Before we adjourn for lunch, I just uh, ask you to bear with me with a couple of announcements of upcoming events. On uh, March 9th, we'll be hearing from uh, Mr. Mayor's uh, colleague, the Ontario's Minister of Training Colleges and Universities, the Honourable Glenn Murray. And on March 19th, Honourable Jason Kennedy, Canada's, Kenny, Canada's Minister of Citizenship, Immigration and Multiculturalism, will be joining us to talk about ensuring the success of immigrants to Canada in the new economy. On uh, March 28th, we're extremely pleased to host His Eminence, Thomas Cardinal Collins, the Archbishop of Toronto, as he gives his first speech since becoming a Cardinal. To order tickets to these events or to any Canadian Club event, please visit our website at canadianclub.org. Uh, please also don't forget that there will be a podcast available of the Premier's remarks in a couple of days on iTunes. Simply visit the event listing on our website to download it. And while you're online, of course, you can check out our Twitter feed. You can follow us at CDNCLUBTO for all the latest updates. This concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We continue to be grateful to Rogers Television and to 680 News for their uh, promotion of Canadian Club events. I would now like to ask our co-host for this lunch, Christian Paquette, to draw a business card. The lucky winner will receive two tickets to the Stratford Shakespeare Festival in Stratford, Ontario. Uh, John Chalinor from uh, Nestle Waters is a lucky winner today. And uh, Lynn will pa- pass your prize over to you. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I would ask you to rise as you are able and join me in a toast to Canada. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, to Canada. Please enjoy your lunch. Bon appétit.